Maybe it's a classic or maybe a flop. Has Katie seen it? She probably has not. She'll sit down and watch it if it's good or it's bad. Hey, have you seen this? No, Katie hasn't seen that. Hi, I'm Katie, and if I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, wait, you haven't seen this movie? Oh my god, you need to see this movie. I'd be very rich. So this is my podcast, where I finally watch those movies you all have told me I need to see, and I tell you what I think. Well, 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 I'm back, and we are watching Face Off today, and you know me, I like to say, sometimes you feel like a spoiler, sometimes you don't, so you've been warned there are spoilers dead ahead. And I'm watching Face Off for the last, of the last time? I don't know, is it the last time? For the first time. I guess we'll find out if it is the first and last time I watch Face Off. Welcome to the finale episode of season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. Y'all have been telling me to watch Face Off for a hot, hot spicy minute, and I'm doing it. There are so many jokes in my Twitch chat about Face Off that I do not get that I need to get on that stat. So I'm watching it today. A little bit of Nick Cage goodness. Who else is in this movie, though? John Travolta's in this? I think I knew that, but I also didn't know that. Let me see if there's anybody else I recognize. Gina Gershon, Nick Cassavetes, a couple people that I recognize, but not more than Nick Cage and John Travolta. This movie came out in the year 1997, so you know me, I'm excited to be ending the season on a 90s movie, especially 90s action. I feel like action movies do not scratch that itch as well as 90s action movies. Do you feel that way? I feel like that's it. Like, that's it to me. A lot of you like 80s action movies. Uh Uh-uh, those don't do it for me. 90s action movies? Hell yeah, sign me up. I don't want to get my expectations too high because I'm nervous I'm going to end up hating this and I really, really want to like this one. Oh gosh, am I already doing it? Am I already setting those expectations too high? This movie's going to suck. I have a feeling it's going to suck. See, I'm setting the bar low. We can only go up from here. This movie is listed as an action sci-fi? Oh my God, it's two hours and 13 minutes long. Ugh. Why are movies so long? Why is my attention span even smaller? I, yeah, yeah, it's rated R, but I didn't know it was a sci-fi. I also love that this movie title has a slash in it. I feel like that's so provocative. (laughs) A lot of movies don't have like grammar. Is that what that's called? No, grammar is like a lot of things. Symbols? What is it? What is that called? Punctuation? Would we consider a slash punctuation? I think it is. You just don't see movies like that nowadays. I don't think we ever did back in the 90s either, but I very much feel like it's fun that there's a slash in the title. I'm a simple person who needs simple things, and that's what gets me by, okay? What do I think Face Off is about? I literally have no idea, but based on context clues, I have a feeling that somebody cuts someone's face and wears it like a mask. It's been alluded to enough that that's what I think it is, is that people's trade faces. You know how like there was trading places? Oh, no, trading spaces on the TLC network when I was younger. People would trade like a room with their neighbor and then they would have two designers come in and redo the room. And sometimes the neighbors hated the redesign. So is it like that where there's two faces and they trade faces and just decide to see how things go for a while? Like, do they live each other's lives? Is this like a feel-good movie? (laughs) Trading Faces, starring Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Two men, unhappy in their own lives, decide to trade faces so that they may see from someone else's perspective. 
But I feel like face off with a slash in it is going to be much more intense than that. I think someone's going to forcibly take someone else's face. Why, though? I don't know. Is it because maybe they just really want that other person's life? And that's what I think this movie's about. Nicolas Cage is so pissed and jealous of John Travolta, he's going to steal his face and try to live his life. I don't know if that's accurate, but I'm very curious now if I'm spot on. <laughs> and now it's time to discuss box office. The budget for this movie, whole oh, wow, was allegedly $80 million for the budget alone. And apparently gross worldwide, it made $245 million, 676146 bucks. Uh, yeah, that's not some, something to face, lose your face about. I feel like I nailed that. That was a good joke. If I didn't stumble over it, that would have been a pretty great joke. So yeah, this made some people some money. Holy crap. Also, 80 million. Do you ever sit and think about movies? I saw recently, and like someone might be listening to this in the future or also way in the past. Wait, are you a time traveler? Is this time travel? The fact that you're listening to my podcast at any point in time kind of make you like a time traveler? Like you traveled back to this moment in time where I'm going to talk about how they made a movie about Batgirl for $90 million and then just decided to scrap it because it didn't test well with audiences. Huh. What a time we live in. Who has that kind of money to throw away? I'm just saying. So this movie was 80 mil budget wise, but made 245 mil worldwide. Mr. Worldwide, aka Pitbull, would be proud. But let's see what this movie's got for ratings. Let me get my expectations set on this. Apparently, it has a 7.3 out of 10 on Internet Movie Database. 92% on Rotten Tomato? What? 82% on Metacritic? And good old Google users got an 87% on this bad boy. It's directed by John Woo, who I have heard of. John Woo apparently did Mission Impossible 2. Wind Talkers, which was another Nicolas Cage movie. Isn't it interesting how it seems like some directors and actors just kind of like, hey, I like you a lot. I'm going to put you in everything. Kind of like Martin Scorsese did with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's not the case really here, but I just they they at least worked on two films together. All right. That's my little spiel about Face Off. I guess I need to go watch this and see if they trade faces because that's pretty much what I think is going to happen. But I'm also not sure. And I'm curious enough to find out. I'm going to go watch Face Off. And I'll let you all know what I think. Okay, I'm back and I watched Face Off for the season finale of season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. So I did it. I watched Face Off. This one has been requested a ton. I've noticed when I looked back at the archives of Katie Hasn't Seen That that I've seen quite a few Nick Cage movies <laughs> over the course of this podcast. So it just seems fitting that we're ending on a Nick Cage movie. And without further ado... Let me read you the summary of this movie so we can just dive into the discussion. Obsessed with bringing terrorist Caster Troy, played by Nicolas Cage, to justice, FBI agent Sean Archer, played by John Travolta, tracks down Troy, who has boarded a plane in Los Angeles. After the plane crashes and Troy is severely injured, possibly dead, Archer undergoes surgery to remove his face and replace it with Troy's. As Archer tries to use his disguise to elicit information about a bomb from Troy's brother, Troy awakes from his coma and forces the doctor who performed the surgery to give him Archer's face. I, you know, this movie is just coming out swinging right out of the gate. 
Nick Cage is in a park doing his sniper activities, trying to take out Sean Archer. But Sean Archer's there with his little kid, little Michael, on a little carousel. And um, let's just say Nick Cage just whipping out his sniper rifle and doing a little recon mission and shoots Sean Archer, but it goes through him and kills his son, Michael. One of the things about this scene particularly is that it looks like Caster Troy is just popping a squat on a small little hill in a busy park and nobody's noticed that he's just got a sniper rifle. It just did not seem like a very sneaky kind of mission. And I don't know how nobody noticed that this guy was shooting somebody and setting up shop on a little knoll under a tree. Needless to say, that's how the movie starts. Right out of the gate, noticing how much of a creep Caster Troy is, okay? Super sad opening sequence. It's six years later, I believe. And Sean is just determined to find this terrorist, Caster Troy. Just like that kind of rugged FBI agent, haggard by life, my son was taken from me and I need revenge kind of vibe. And you can tell his life mission is to get Caster Troy. They find him at that airport. And boy, oh boy, that whole airport sequence was riveting. It was just nonstop action. I literally wrote this. They don't make action like they did in the 90s. I read somewhere that they were going to use a lot of like CGI or something for this, but they ended up doing a lot of this stuff with practical effects. And it makes such a huge difference. Nowadays, so much movies that are like action or they've got big stuff going on. It's very CGI heavy. And I feel like you can tell a difference. This felt like they were destroying planes, cars, people, everything. It was just such a visceral sequence while they're trying to capture Caster Troy. I will say I was very much involved. I was unable to take my eyes off the screen. It felt almost like a 90s video game, like specifically Goldeneye, which I never played. But when they finally crash the plane into one of the hangars and they're doing like sneak around gunfighting, it felt like a 90s video game. The slow-mo faces of John Travolta and Nicolas Cage in this sequence as well was hysterical because it wasn't like sexy face. It wasn't like I'm doing my model face. It was literally like how I feel people would look when they're running around with guns fighting for their lives. Just like grisly, goofy looking faces. But I kind of appreciated that. I liked the cinematography in this movie and I did enjoy the use of slow-mo. And just some of the choices they made for the action sequences, because I feel like it made it more interesting to watch. I have to say, though, because we start the movie out with Sean doing the face wipe thing. I don't know how else to call it. Face swipe. He like takes his hand and he puts it down from. How do you explain this? He makes a palm and he puts the palm on someone's face and then gently like moves his hand down over people's faces. It's like a Sean thing. Sean just likes to do that. And he does that to his son who dies and then he does it to his wife and I was like if anyone is ever in my life trying to show me they love me they don't need to put their entire hand over my face I just feel like that's such an invasion of your peripheral vision is that something someone wants is anybody out there like I wish someone face swiped my face so I'm talking to Mark about this and I'm like that's I don't know if that's a choice and so Mark's like speculating that it's something from John Travolta's real life that he snuck into this film. And I'm like, I don't know. I think it's going to come up later because for once, Mark hadn't seen this film. So this was a new film for both of us. Literally, that whole airport sequence goes by in a flash and then Castro Troy is dead-ish. Like they're keeping him alive. They have his brother. 
the brother and caster kind of like bffs for life but also blood is thicker than water i don't know caster takes care of his brother his brother's also just kind of as bad as caster you have to admit though nicholas cage playing this character oh my god just dripping with psychopath dripping with narcissism dripping with i am creeped the fuck out so i have to say commendable to nick cage because he did a great job at playing the worst oh just the whole sequence as well when they're planting the bomb or i guess caster is planting the bomb and he's the priest oh my lord just the whole messiah thing was really interesting but it also opened up some plot holes which i'll talk about later uh but he was being so obvious in his priest outfit he's also grabbing too many butts he's being such a grabby hand man and it's not okay all right i know he's not a good guy but dear lord keep your hands to yourself essentially sean is like i got him i got him honey i got the guy who killed our son and then they're trying to figure out where this bomb is at and so essentially the plot of the movie is caster's brother is in prison and there's a secret procedure that the fbi does where you can take not only one person's face and move it to your other face but your entire body gets readjusted to become this other person and they were trying to grill people and get answers about this bomb but it wasn't fast enough. And so Sean agrees to become Caster Troy and go into the prison system and try to get information from the brother. Caster wakes up with no face on, forces the doctor who did the procedure to put Sean's face on his face. And I don't know if you're getting where I'm going here, but it becomes a face-off in two forms of the way. Their faces literally get taken off, but then they face off with each other. Not a hockey movie like some of you might have been thinking. That procedure was gnarly, though. I don't know for sure, but it looked like they had models of the actors to cut faces off. (laughs) You know, they didn't actually take the faces off the actors, which I know method acting is not what it used to be. But um, literally, I think that they just had like models of the actors to do this procedure. But I would also like to point out that there is no way that this procedure would be possible because they'd have to change the teeth. They'd have to change bone structure. They'd have to change so much eye position this is not just a swap of face kind of deal and they do kind of address like we'll do a little liposuction what about height differences i'm sorry this procedure's impossible i don't care what branch of the fbi you're working in you are not able to do this in any reality i'm just saying like unless we can all morph but then you don't need face-off surgery you just can't do this But, you know, for the movie's sake, I embraced it. And I was like, okay, movie, go off. Let me see what you do with the face off. Literally take each other's face off, but then correct everything about your body. Scars, extra body fat, teeth, hair, all of those things to make them look like the person that they took the face from. I wrote multiple times in my notes, this is impossible. (laughs) Which I know is not the point of movies. But like, I can't even justify this in a way that would work in any reality. This is just impossible. There is no way this would ever be developed. It just seems like such a bad idea to take your face off and then put it on another face. And they're all like, yeah, it's reversible. It's completely reversible. In what reality is there no scarring? You got to get the muscles to reattach in the right spots. It's just, it's upsetting. It's just upsetting to think and absurd that, that this is something that I could ever believe could happen. 
But once I got over the initial hump of how impossible all of this is, I was like, all right, let's do this thing. But then this is one of the plot holes I've noticed. I'm like, instead of just going through these extreme measures of changing bodies, essentially, taking one person's face and putting it on another person's face, all of that, also the voice changing thing, all of it. I'm sorry. There's a lot involved with this process. Okay. Also, heal time is only a couple days. Okay. I, I, no. All right. If the FBI developed some sort of healing procedure so that we can all get over surgeries and other things faster, they need it. They need to share that with the general public. Okay. Not so you can do super co-op, co-op, undercover secret agent stuff. Okay. It's just not fair. But before going through all of this, why wouldn't they just look at CCTV? They know that Castro Troy was in L.A. This man is not subtle. This man is not hiding that he is around and he is doing things. They probably have enough people in the FBI to scan the CCTV because he was clearly in Los Angeles and following his movements around the city to the convention center where the bomb was. A very public place. Like, why wouldn't they just start asking around? Has anyone seen this man? He was just wearing a priest's costume. He wasn't even hiding his face. They could have just posted his picture and say, hey, this man, he's a bad man. Have you seen him? And someone, how about the girl who got her butt grabbed, might have been like, oh, yeah, that guy was at the convention center on this one day. Then you sweep that building. I mean, this was the 90s. Maybe no one thought of that. But I have to say, They could have avoided a lot of trouble if they just scanned some CCTV and maybe posted a couple pictures, maybe asked a few people and said, hey, have you seen this man? And then they would have been like, oh, yeah, saw that man. He was dancing around the convention center, kind of twerking at one point, and he interrupted our choral segment. So, yeah, I've seen that man. It's just a thought. Might be a plot hole. But it seemed like something to check out before doing intensive plastic surgery. I'm just I'm just saying. Also, the fact that they didn't really tell many people about his secret face-off thing. They're like, it's such a secret thing. We can't tell people. We could have avoided a lot of problems had we at least let a couple more people in the know. There's got to be some sort of safety net here, you know, to make sure that we we don't have a, a situation like this occurring where a man wakes up in his coma and then puts on someone else's face and then, you know, say la vie. Because as soon as Castor got Sean's face put on, He killed the doctors. He burned them alive and the facility. But how come he was not restrained? I know he's in a melanomedically induced coma or whatever, but just throw some restraints on this guy. Let's just make sure we've got an armed guard. You're keeping a terrorist alive. You're not going to have like a guard posted or, you know, maybe slap on a couple bed restraints just in case. Just in case this guy does wake up. It's just a couple thoughts. Maybe they need to redo some protocol. So Sean gets sent to prison, but no one knows that he's going to this prison. And so he's being treated like a real prisoner. But I was like, they couldn't just send out a memo to the warden, do like a need who needs to know basis. And only this one guy in the department knows. And then they're putting magnet boots on him as a way to track people. But they're also able to change faces on humans. I just can't get behind the technology there. Magnet boots, extreme plastic surgery. Like we don't have anything more advanced at this time frame besides magnet boots. So the magnet boots kind of come into play later on when there's that huge fight. 
And I was like, why aren't they locking the magnet boots to the ground? And they did eventually, but they kind of wanted the prisoners to fight. So now we reach the part of the movie where it's more like an act off than a face off. Because Nick Cage is now going to be playing Sean. And John Travolta is now going to be playing Caster. So you could say that Nick Cage and Travolta got to do a little switcheroo here and play each other. And I thought that was really interesting. I have to say, Nick Cage is a creep as Travolta. Or, okay, I should say Caster is such a creep when he's playing Sean. And he sees Sean's daughter for the first time. I literally wrote in my notes, ew, 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 ew. Ah, uh, and I'm very much still upset by that scene. And I think it's just nothing. Ugh, it was just gross. That scene made me feel so gross. And uh, really enforced how bad of a person Castor Troy is. He was just a bad person. Inside and out, there's no redemption arc for Castor Troy. So Castor Troy becomes Sean. And then this is where I, I wrote in my notes. This is why you tell more people. Everyone who knew died. And this whole thing could have been avoided. I will say there was a slight, slight uh, little bit of like, okay, maybe he kind of isn't so bad when Caster does kick the guy's butt who was forcing himself on Jamie, the daughter, Sean's daughter. So Caster as Sean, this is hard to talk about because they faced off. They had their faces moved. And now I'm trying to explain it in a non-confusing way. Caster as Sean rushes out and kicks this boyfriend's butt, and then teaches Jamie how to use a knife, which comes in later because she uses it against him. And honestly, chef's kiss, good for her. That part, I was like, okay, maybe he's not going to be a creep the entire time, but he, he was still a creep. But I did appreciate that. Overall, this movie had a lot of fun stuff in it. It was honestly very action-packed. Lots of characters, lots of different weaves and bobs and stuff that they did. It was really fun getting to see John Travolta play Nick Cage's character and Nick Cage play John Travolta's character. It was very over the top. I did feel like this movie was kind of long, though. You know, you get to the hour 50 mark and I start getting real tired. I just start kind of getting a little fatigued, but I made it through the whole thing. There was a lot of very long action sequences, which obviously took a lot of time to do. And... Sometimes you just get lost in them because they're so absurd or they're so intense and you're just like, what? Oh my, who's the boats? Okay. There's also a point where Sean as Caster is trying to convince his wife, which that's really effed up. Caster as Sean. It's like sleeping with Sean's wife and like, ooh, being, ooh, just making himself at home. But then eventually Sean as Caster tries to convince his wife like, hey, it's me. It's Sean. And he did the hand thing. And I was like, I called it because I thought he was going to use the hand thing, his hand swipe to let his wife know, like, it's really me, sweetheart. And he ended up doing that. But I have to say, he tells his wife, hey, the blood types are different. And she just has this pen that takes blood samples like it does while she's in bed next to Castor of Sean. And then she goes to her lab and Sean is somehow in the lab. Sean is Castor's already in the lab. And I'm like, how did he get there? He's got a bullet wound. He's just like bleeding out. And he tells this really wild story that is obviously very specific for a reason so that you know it's Sean. And that's the thing that like, I think her name was Eve. Eve would only know that story because her and Sean's first date. But it was like a wild story. Like she broke her teeth on a rye seed and some bread. And then they had to find an all night dentist. But the dentist was drunk and got the teeth mixed up. And I was like, this is weirdly specific. 
And then I started thinking, do all night dentists exist? And I, I, I'm still not sure, but it was just an odd choice. This just kind of culminates to a big old face-off at the end between Castor and Sean. There's that huge boat sequence that I mentioned, just goes on for days. Very intense, very entertaining, until he legitimately kills. He, I need to be more specific. Um, when Sean kills Castor as Sean. And then Castor's trying to like cut up his face. Like, you can't have, if I can't have the face, you can't have the face. And then seems like he's really dead. I forgot to mention, too, that we find out in this movie that Castor has a kid with this girl. We meet earlier on the movie when Sean is interrogating her. But she has a son, and we find out that her son is Castor's son. Weirdly enough, same age as Michael when he died. (laughs) You know how a lot of movies have, like, three acts normally? I have this theory that action movies have five acts, where it's just so much happening and that you have to get through certain points. Like two of those acts have to be like huge action sequences before you can actually reach the end of the movie. But we do eventually get there. Sean is able to get his original face, pristine condition, same hair, same body, teeth are back to what they were, and voice. That is important. I also feel in these movies. So Sean gets home and the daughter Jamie's so excited to see him, even though Castor as Sean licked her face and was a super creep to her at the end. She did defend herself using what Sean Caster person taught her to get away. But you have to admit, wouldn't she be a little bit more upset? Like, yes, it wasn't actually her dad, but some creepy stuff went down. Maybe you can get through it. I don't know. But so Sean rolls up and is like, I'm home, honeys. And Eve's so excited. I feel like she would have some issues, too. I just there's a lot of complex issues probably built into this. But because during the final sequence, the woman who has the son with Castor pretty much shields a bullet from Sean as Castor and dies. So now this poor little boy, who I believe's name is Adam, doesn't have a mom or a dad. So when Sean rolls up at the end of the movie, he shows up with this little kid who looks eerily like Michael. And he's pretty much saying, can we keep him? And seems like he's going to be a good fit. And Eve's all on board. Jamie's all on board. And then the movie ends. In 90s movies too, why is it that someone always dies in the beginning and they kind of get replaced at the end? Kind of like Michael did. There's always someone who completes the circle. Like if Caster's gone, they pretty much got Michael back if you look at it that way, and now their family's all fine and together again. It's just like an interesting way to wrap up everything. Because then the credits just start to roll. And we're done. We watched Face Off. We got to the end. Overall, I didn't hate this movie. I actually kind of liked it. I was a little surprised that I liked it as much as I did. It was laughable at times. It was very off the wall. Some of the action sequences were so over the top. The Face Off... Like the procedure, it's just not possible. But it was a fun movie. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be. And I'm not mad about it. It was a little long, but you know me, everything's a little bit too long when it goes over an hour 45. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not mad that you all made me watch it. I kind of like this one. This one wasn't bad. But I bet you're all wondering, what did I give this movie? If I were to give Face Off a rating, I think I would give it 7.5 out of 10 hand swipes. 
the kind of hand swipes that someone puts over your face to show them that they care. Really glad that that didn't take hold and didn't, you know, didn't become a thing after this movie came out. Ugh. Instead of handshakes, we do hand swipes on people's faces. Oh, that just sounds like such a bad idea. So many illnesses I can already foresee. But yeah, I didn't mind this movie. I don't think I'm going to rush out to watch it again anytime soon. But hopefully now I can get the jokes that some of you tell me about Face Off and I can be a part of the ha-has, okay? But I did it. I watched Face Off and that is what I thought. But before I go, let's look at some trivia from this movie. Apparently, two weeks before filming together, Nick Cage and John Travolta learned how to play each other. And it seems like they decided on specific vocal cadences and specific gestures to use so that they could be mimicked. I kind of love that because I do feel like they did a good job reversing roles. Another fact in here says that most of the stunts in this movie were done without the use of digital effects. And I got to say much respect to that because a lot of stuff nowadays leans so heavily on it. It is probably safer for people, but I feel like you could tell the authenticity of a lot of the stunts and special effects in this movie. And we'll end on this one. The magnetic boots the prisoners wear in this movie are the same boots worn by the Goombas in Super Mario Bros. from 1993. Now that's pretty interesting to me. And before we go, here's some thoughts from all of you on past episodes. Welcome to the finale of season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. I feel like this season came and went so fast. I know it's been like a few months, but we are at the final episode of season two. I hope you enjoyed the episode on Face Off. Some Nicolas Cage goodness to end out and round out this season. Again, please let me know what you think about Face Off. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this film. It's kind of the perfect period on the end of the season. But I do want to share some thoughts that you all shared with me about the last episode on A Clockwork Orange, starting with some YouTube comments where Virulent shared, I remember when I finished watching this, I wondered why I did. It's not a good movie. It's not even good bad. It bored me a lot, and movies shouldn't do that. Virulent, thank you for sharing your thoughts. I have to say, as I keep reading these comments from everybody, I felt so vindicated in my review of A Clockwork Orange, and it made me really wonder why people like this film and why it has its chokehold on cinema history. Because, I don't know, I'll just keep reading some comments and you all can make up your mind. Spare also shared on YouTube, At last, somebody who feels the same way I do about this cult classic film. Firstly, I also don't like eye stuff. I could never wear contact lenses, for example. Incredibly distasteful, no sympathy for the main character. Alex did not enjoy it when he got his comeuppance and not enjoyable in any way. Apart from the fact that you can say you have seen the film. And what was the point of so much gratuitous violence, rape, and molestation? Yes, we know that's the whole point of the film. Still way too much. Thank you very much. Can we just review something a lot nicer like The Muppet Christmas Carol? Thanks. (laughs) Muppet Christmas Carol, 10 out of 10. Don't even need to do its own podcast. It deserves its own plaque on everyone's wall of being the best Christmas movie. So if you're not watching Muppet Christmas Carol every holiday season, you're missing out and it should become a wonderful tradition. I don't remember if I've shared this story, but we went and saw it in theaters this last Christmas. I hadn't seen it in a theater in a while. So it's just like this local theater that sometimes runs movies. And I bawled like 
I was having a hard time keeping it together watching The Muppet Christmas Carol, and I watch it every year. But this year, I was particularly sensitive and had a good cry several times during it. It's a wonderful movie, and Michael Caine really gives it his all in that movie. So, you know what? Watch it. Watch it now. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas. It doesn't matter. Just watch it. Just watch it right now. Stop what you're doing. Go watch it. M shared, I agree with you. I hated this movie. There are moments that are memorable, but only because they're upsetting, not because they're good cinema or groundbreaking in any way. The credits rolled, and I wish I had those hours of my life back. <laughs> Some of y'all being savage out here. I think this is uh, kind of making my reviews seem a little more tame this time, so I'm feeling pretty good. Hopping over to Twitter, A Tale Told shared, a good sci-fi story, but a difficult movie to watch. I've seen it exactly once, enough. The ultraviolence, especially sexual, is too much for my taste, and I don't think it was justified. It's not 2001 Kubrick. I know he was trying for disturbing, but he overachieved. Horror show. Chef's kiss, wonderful pin on that. Couldn't agree with you more, Tail. On the other end of this, I got a comment on Twitter from Guillermo, who said, I saw that about 50 years ago one of my favorite Kubrick films. So I found somebody who enjoys this movie and I wanted to share that as well because there are people out there that do find this movie as part of something they will always have on their DVD shelf or <laughs> I know that's not a thing, a part of their movie collection. Jumping into Discord, first up, Piano Badger shared, great episode, Katie, really got into the spirit of the movie, returning the ultraviolence back where it came from. <laughs> That one was a good laugh for me. I appreciate that piano. I definitely channeled that ultraviolence in my review. And last but not least, from Strangely Metacognitive Cabbage, they shared, yes, great review. Clockwork Orange isn't a film you're supposed to like. There are a whole bunch of works from that era about politics, etc. Animal Farm, 1984. They are supposed to be a warning of the resulting mess created by crappy politics. Thank you for your thoughts as well, Strangely Metacognitive Cabbage. I appreciate you jumping into Discord and joining the conversation. Y'all, we have a Discord if you want to talk about the movies we talk about on Katie Hasn't Seen That, of course, Twitter, Discord, YouTube. Give me your comments. I like reading them. I really do. I like responding to them. So I appreciate everybody who does share their thoughts with me. Y'all, this brings us to the end of season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. So if you're interested in a season three and you enjoyed this season two, Jump over to my Kofi. I have a goal set up to fund a season three of Katie Hasn't Seen That. It takes about eight to 10 hours per episode for Katie Hasn't Seen That. So it's quite an undertaking for me to even do 10 episodes of this. So if you enjoy the podcast and you want a season three, jump on over to my Kofi. It's just ko-fi.com slash Katie Peters Plays to check out my Kofi. There's also a new tier I made on there called the Popcorn Posse. So for a membership over there, if we do get a season three funded, I'm aiming for 10 episodes, you'll get early access to the episodes as well as behind the scenes stuff from the podcast, like the notes I take for the episodes and things like that. And plus a sweet discord role. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode of Katie hasn't seen that and you want to help make season three possible, jump on over there and yeah, that's where we're at. I appreciate you all for listening. I am very grateful that we have a season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. And I really do hope you all enjoyed the movies that I watched this season. And it's been really fun to connect with all of you with all the different genres we hit and the cult classics and maybe the not so cult classics. So as always, if you have any movies you want to recommend to me, let me know. Let me get them on the master list of all the movies that I need to still watch. There's still a lot out there. 
And let me know what you thought about season two of Katie Hasn't Seen That. What was your favorite movie that I watched and reviewed this year? Come hang out with me on Twitch in the meantime, Twitter, all those places. I appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. And I'm hoping you have a beautiful rest of your day. Until next time, keep all that popcorn warm for me and throw some Cheetos in there. If you want to hang out with me more, or if you just want to yell at me for my thoughts on a specific movie, I stream over on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash katiepetersplays. If you'd like to support the podcast and buy me a coffee to fuel my reviews, you can over on Ko-fi at www.ko-fi.com slash katiepetersplays. You can join my Discord to discuss the movies I review with other Katie Hasn't Seen That fans by visiting discordapp.com slash invite slash katiepetersplays. If you enjoy Katie Hasn't Seen That, please leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show. Also, feel free to follow and chat with me on Twitter at PlayKatiePlay and on Instagram and YouTube at KatiePetersPlays. Music written and performed by Mark Can Do It, Katie Hasn't Seen That is a part of the Geek Generation Network.